Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Daniel tells us much about the coming Antichrist, a man who will deceive the world into believing he is God. Today, we learn something about the timeline of his short career as world ruler. Short because Jesus will terminate it when he returns. Please stay with us. From the Moody Church in Chicago, this is Running to Win with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, whose clear teaching helps us make it across the finish line. Today, Erwin Lutzer continues a series on The King is Coming, Preparing to Meet Jesus. In this, the fourth of ten messages, our focus is on that time when the king tolerates his rival. So first of all, he comes out of a revived Roman Empire, as the book of Daniel would teach. Secondly, he makes a covenant with Israel, which he will break. This is really Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, you have a reference to a prince who's going to come, who's going to make a covenant with Israel for one week. And actually, when you look at the text, you know that it's one week of years, namely seven years. An Antichrist is going to have so much power that when he makes this covenant with Israel, the world will finally say that this Middle East, this cauldron that we read about all the time in the news, has finally settled down. Finally, there's some strength over there in Europe. An Antichrist, of course, he won't be called that, but this ruler has finally been able to satisfy Israel and put enough pressure on its neighbors to live in peace, so much peace, that it may be during this period of time when there's actually a temple built next to the Dome of the Rock because when three and a half years have passed, this Antichrist actually goes into that temple and declares himself to be God. One other reference I want to read about that is in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a passage you really have to read on your own later. But it says this, He who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And then it indicates how he's going to end. And I'm going to tell you that story, so I won't read the rest of the verses just now. So first of all, what he does is, he will arise out of a revived Roman Empire. He makes a covenant with Israel. He breaks it in the middle of the tribulation period, goes to Jerusalem, goes into the temple, and says, Behold, your God. Third, he will have a miraculous recovery of a fatal wound. All right, now we're in the text, and we're going to stay in the text of Revelation chapter 13 for the rest of the message. So your Bibles are open. If you're using one of our Bibles here, it's page 1035. You need to see it in your own mind and heart. You'll notice it says in verse 3, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. It is going to appear as if Antichrist died. Now you say, well, the text says it seemed as if he had a mortal wound. Do you think he actually died? Well, there are those who believe that he will actually die. And they base that on the fact that in chapter 5, verse 6 of Revelation, it uses the very same expression for Jesus. 
When John says, I saw a lamb as if it had been slain, and that's a reference to Christ, and we know that Jesus actually died. Same expression. So some people think that indeed Antichrist died. Other people think, no, Satan cannot raise people from the dead unless there's a very special dispensation given to him by God. So it appears as if he's dead and is made alive. And perhaps that's the right view. All that we know is that the people sure believe that he is dead and the people sure believe that he rises from the dead. The whole earth follows the beast. A preacher friend of mine says, just visualize this. This man is so powerful and somebody assassinates him. He's there in a coffin in some great uh, place, Rotunda, in the Middle East. And thousands of people are lining up and all the television cameras are on him. And then suddenly he wiggles in the coffin, crawls out and says, I'm your Messiah. You can imagine that everybody's going to believe him. That's why the text says, who is like this beast? We have to continue to go on, don't we? And they worship the dragon. The dragon is Satan. Chapter 12, he's called the red dragon because he's filled with the blood of the saints. They worship the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. The beast represents here all the wishes of the devil. It's time for me to put my Bible down and just think about this. This has been Satan's desire throughout the ages to duplicate everything that Jesus has ever done and to receive the worship of the world. That's why he said to Jesus, you know, if you, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. Satan longs to be worshiped. And now he has somebody in place who is being worshipped and in the process of worshipping him, they worship the devil, the great dragon. But I mean, if he looked as if he was dead and rose again, what does it say there in the last part of verse 4? Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? How would you like to take on somebody who was dead and is now alive? I mean, how are you going to fight him? And people will be so eager to believe, so eager to believe, and our world of spirituality is preparing them for this. You know, the whole idea, oh, I'm into spirituality, not religion. It's really an occultic kind of religion. It's a deceptive kind of religion. And people lacking discernment are going to simply say, he's our man. Can't you hear it already? They'll say, well, you know, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, but how many people saw Jesus? The disciples, and then later on he appeared to several hundred people, we're told in the Bible, but it's nothing like this. I mean, if this is on national television, where everybody can see what's happening, I mean, who is going to oppose him? And you can see it already. People are going to do that. Now, let's hurry on. He's going to use fear to rule the world. We're just going to look at some of these verses, and if you're understanding it, it should give you chills. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable, but we believe it because it's in God's Word, and we can actually see how it can happen. That's a remarkable thing. You'll notice, first of all, I want to point out all of the things that he was given. 
And then uh, we're going to talk about who gave it to him. Verse 5, he was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and he was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Why 42 months? Three and a half years. You get it? He declares himself to be God. Three and a half years pass before the seven years are up, before Jesus returns. So he's given this authority for 42 months. It, that is the beast, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name, his dwelling, that is those who dwell in the heaven. Somebody says he was given a mouth, and so he was, and it was a very big mouth, and it was a very evil, blasphemous, foul mouth, and all that he does is blaspheme God. Satan finally gets it out of his system and he can do that. Now, it was also given to him, verse 7, it was allowed for him to make war on the saints and to conquer them. This does not mean that he in any way made war against the saints spiritually and conquered them, but physically he put them to death. Because as we'll see later, if you don't have his mark, you're dead. You're dead. Wow. And then this is certainly something that takes our breath away. You'll notice it says, an authority was given to this beast over every tribe and people and language and nation. And at last, Satan rules the world. Everybody buys into him. He's the way to go. We have found our Messiah. We found the answer to the world's complex problems and search for peace. Here he is. And the world worships, and the world believes. And then it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. I'm not going to comment on that verse now, but of course I will comment later, because you can't avoid a, a nugget like that in the midst of this distress, these saints and the implications for us. So you'll notice that uh, he controls the world religiously. Everybody worships him. Satan now controls the world politically. Nobody is going to make war with him. He also controls the world economically. He's going to use economics to do it, and that's why economics is so important. It is always the economy. It is always, always the economy. Now, at this point, your Bibles are open. I have to introduce you to another beast. It says in verse 11, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and so forth. You can read this on your own. But this again makes us just absolutely gasp. We gasp at the audacity of Satan. Think of it this way. God is a trinity. And now Satan has his trinity. Let's clarify Satan himself, the dragon, is the anti-God the Father. The beast that we've been talking about in the opening of the chapter is the anti-Christ. This next beast corresponds to the Holy Spirit. He takes the work of what the Holy Spirit does and does the same thing for the beast. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Bible says that the Spirit is poured out. Why? And he always glorifies Jesus. He causes people to look not at himself, but is always directing us toward Jesus, toward Jesus, toward Jesus. That's what 
the New Testament teaches. And that's exactly what this beast does. This second beast is totally committed. He's not interested in his own fame necessarily as much as he is to cause others to worship the first beast. That's what the text says. You'll notice that I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all of the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. In my book entitled The King is Coming, what I try to do is to avoid some of the controversies that are connected with prophecy to emphasize those events that we can be certain that we will participate in. We might not know all the details, but we know that the future is coming, and God tells us about the future to impact the way we live today. For a gift of any amount, we're making this resource available to you. When you have a book in your hands, as I like to emphasize, you can read and reread, you can study, We believe that this will be of tremendous help for you as you interpret what is happening even today in light of the future. So ask for the book, The King is Coming. We desire that we would be able to help you, as we like to say, all the way to the finish line. Thank you, and God bless. That was Erwin Lutzer with more of The King Tolerates His Rival, the fourth in a ten-part series, on the King is Coming. In amazing detail, the Bible foretells how the world will be led by the coming Antichrist just before Jesus returns. Next time, just how this evil ruler will be vanquished by the Son of God. The King is Coming is also a book by Erwin Lutzer, and we'll send it as a thank you for your gift of any amount to support Running to Win. Just call us at 1-800-215-5001. That's 1-800-215-5001. Online, go to OfferRTW.com or write to Running to Win, Moody Church, 1635 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60614. For Dr. Erwin Lutzer, this is Dave McAllister. Running to Win is a ministry of the Moody Church.